about awakening love. And uh, we learn some good things, right? And uh, we show up and read the Bible. And we dress up and we look nice, right? We keep it respectable. But my guess is that in the past month of your marriage, you might have had one of those moments. And that's intense. And marriage is intense. And the longer it goes, the, the beauty of it, right, is, is, is you get more opportunities to love each other. But you know what's scary is you also get a lot more opportunities to ignore and love each other poorly. Fifteen years in for me, and man, it's difficult. And, and, and for most of you, you, you may have figured out a way to kind of eke out like a, a functioning relationship. But my guess is that deep in the, under the surface, like you, you really wish that you could love better or, or be loved better. And, and you're not sure how to get there. And the crazy part about marriage is, is, is as you grow with someone, right, the person you married is not the person that they are right now right? Like, like for, for you ladies, like for me, like I married this 26-year-old woman from the South, right? And, and, and she was this woman. And then over 15 years, she's become a mother of three, right? And she sacrificed career and all of this stuff and changed who she is. And, and now we got all the kids back in school. So she's had a huge change of life where now the whole like stay-at-home mom thing is different. And that, now what is life, right? And, and that's, that's the woman that I'm married to now, right? And that's different, and you grow and evolve and change together. And, and, and for, for a lot of you men, right, for ladies, you married this guy and he was, he was a 23-year-old kid that was just full of life and he was going to change the world and things are going to be great. And then he got fired from his job and his career that he thought he was going to do didn't happen. And now he's working a job where he goes every day to try to eke out a living, to try to provide for the family. But he hates his job and he's, and he's scared to death most days of who he's becoming or what he is. And that kind of like life paralyzing fear that we have, we don't talk about because it's scary. Because love is terrifying. This morning, what I hope to do is just invite us into a journey to realize that you were created in the, image, in the image of God and designed to love in such a way that when you love how you were created to love, you reflect the very heart and image of God. But it's a challenge. We're going to jump in, all right? We're going to finish out Song of Solomon. Stay with me. First point, just so you know, it's going to be a little intense. It's already been intense. I was just ramping it in, all right? But stay with me for the first like 13 minutes because the second point is basically just about getting naked. So that'd be a chill, chill factor, right? <laughs> what I love is that I just saw a bunch, of, I saw like five dudes that are probably between the ages of 15 and 25 that were on their phones or looking down and I said the word naked and they all five and went like this. <laughs> Put my phone away, about to talk about nakedity, right? Nikidity, I just made that word up. 
Is that not a word, is it? Nakidity? It is now. Tweet that out. We're talking about nakidity today. Anyway, that'll be the second point. And the third point, talk about commitment. It'll be a nice way to land the plane. So let's stay intense for a second, all right? So Song of Solomon, right? What we need is because see, we're awakening the love, but after like 15, 20, 25 years, right, or 30 years, wherever you're at today, right, is it's a process of reawakening that love again and again and again and again and again. So how do we reawaken the love? Here's the three words we're going to stick with today, right? We need courage, we need creativity, and we need commitment. So there's the sermon, so that you know where we're going, okay? So we need a consistent courage, And in chapter five of Song of Solomon, I think what we get is a little snapshot of their conflict, but within it, I think this conflict reveals something about how we betray the image of God that we all bear. Let's jump into the story. So it starts off, and the man says, let me in, dear companion. We're in Song of Solomon 5, chapter 5, verse 2 through 8. Dana hit on this last week, did a phenomenal job, but it's going to springboard forward from where she was last week. Let me in, dear companion, dearest friend, my dove, consummate lover. I'm soaked with the dampness of the night, drenched with dew, shivering and cold. So the man's coming to pursue his wife, right? He's moving towards her and he's excited about it. He needs her. He moves into this moment. She says, but I'm in my nightgown. You expect me to get dressed? I'm bathed and in bed. Do you want me to get dirty? But my lover wouldn't take no for an answer. And the longer he knocked, the more excited I became. So I got up to open the door, but my lover to my lover, sweetly, ready to receive him, desiring and expectant. And as I turned the door handle, he was gone. But when I opened the door, he was gone, and my loved one had tired of waiting and left, and I died inside. Oh, I felt so bad, and I ran out looking for him, but he was nowhere to be found. I called into the darkness, but no answer. The night watchman found me, and as they patrolled the streets, they slapped and beat and bruised me and ripped off my clothes. And these watchmen who had supposed to be guarding the city... I beg you, sisters in Jerusalem, if you find my lover, please tell him I want him back, that I'm heartsick with love for him. This conflict and so many conflicts that we deal with in our relationships, I believe, are based in fear. We have deep-seated fears about our ability to love, and instead of dealing with those fears, we react. And the way we react is common as male and female. And, and, and what it does is actually betrays the image that we bear. You may have never heard this before. I taught about it a couple of years ago here at Mercy Road. If you want to dive deep into it, go get the book Fully Alive by a guy named Larry Crabb. It is a phenomenal read. It will shape the way you see this. So if you're inspired by this today, you want to read the book Fully Alive. Okay, so check it out. Here's the deal with us. We are made in the image of God each one of us, and we reflect his image. The word of God says this in Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. What does that mean? That means we relationally, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally are created like God to relate with each other. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in an eternal relationship that is non-hierarchical and equally submissive, submissive, submissive. If you go watch the movie, The Shack, I love the image where, where they go into the shack and, and, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit represented in the movie are sitting around the table laughing in a conversation together. Does that actually happen? I don't know. I just love the image of the unity there. So we are created in God's image to relate like that in love. But we're created uniquely. It goes on and God says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we're created in God's image, but we are unique in our design. And here's how this breaks down. There is a difference between what it means to be a man and a woman. Okay? 
In our culture, there's a lot of conversation about this. They're basically saying that gender is kind of fluid and maybe you could choose this or choose that and it may not matter. I fully, completely disagree with that. And I believe that God created you male or female so that when you love as a woman or as a man, it reflects something very specific about God's character in his heart. Let's start with the men, okay? So here's the deal. The word man, the word male in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is the word zakar. Zakar means this, to remember and to move. So a biblically masculine man is someone who moves towards another with no controlling fear of what they may do to him in order to awaken and restore beauty. Guys, have you ever seen your role on, on planet Earth to move without fear into relationships to restore and awaken beauty and love in someone else? If not, you might be missing your calling as a man. And I can tell you, just reading that and thinking that, there's something deep in my soul that kind of goes, yeah, I got a mission. I got a mission. We move with the confidence that we've been given the weight to impact, no matter how inadequate we feel. We are masculine to the degree that we remember our calling and move with the weight of confidence to impact something for good as we move into the depths of people's lives. As we lose sight of that, men, we take on an outward persona to protect ourselves from our fear. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Adam's original sin in Genesis 3 is that he was created first and told first not to eat of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, right? Eve is deceived. And most scholars believe that Adam was there as well. So Adam's original sin was that he did not move into the situation remembering what God had said and lead in his relationship. He left Eve alone and in silence and failed as a man. That failure as a man had massive impact upon his wife that had to be thinking to herself, why didn't he do anything to protect and to love me? And that comes back to the pain of a woman. Female, from the Hebrew word nakara, it means this, an opening or punctured or open. The word female means an opening, punctured or open. Larry Crabb says it like this, a biblically feminine woman is so at rest in God's delight in her beauty that she risks, that she risks inviting others to enjoy the beauty of God by relating, watch this ladies, listen, by relating non-defensively, non-protectively, and non-controllingly with a strong and courageous openness to give to others what will draw them into her soul. When a woman is operating out of full biblical femininity, she reflects the invitational heart of God. Now, what the enemy does is he takes this God-given image and with fear, he distorts it so that we relate to each other out of fear, not out of love. And an unfeminine woman and an unmasculine man will always live at a distance from each other and from their friends. They will never connect. Pleasant times and passionate feelings might mimic connection, but real connection never happens, either in marriage or in friendship. But when a woman is feminine, a man is masculine, community happens and people meet and God is revealed. 
we'll give it a couple character names so you can wrap your minds around it. For men, here's what happens when we're scared to connect in our marriages and our friendships. We become scared puppy dogs or vicious lions. When we react out of fear, we retreat or we abuse. We retreat or we abuse. Ladies, if you knew, I'm about to just reveal a big thing that your husband doesn't want you to know. So sorry, guys, about to get real. Your husband is terrified of you. Scared out of his mind. Not because you can beat him up, although some of you may be able to. I mean, people are in the gym these days. I don't know, right? But when we as men feel rejected or inadequate in relationship to our wife, it scares us to the point that we retreat or we pump ourselves up and we abuse. We're scared puppies or we're vicious lions. For you ladies, when you're scared and feel invisible, you're either a boa constrictor or a turtle. So something happens, you feel scared and you strike and then you curl up and you control and you suffocate. So you're defensive, you're controlling, or you're a turtle. You say, this is unsafe, I don't like it, I'm gonna close up in my hard shell and no one will be able to hurt me or have access to me. So in our marriages today, Think back through a conflict you've had, and I'm going to go through this conflict in in Song of Solomon real quick, and just see if you can see yourself as a scared puppy dog, a vicious lion, as a boa constrictor, or as a turtle. So let's jump back into the story here, see what happens. So the man steps forward, right? He's supposed to remember to move with no controlling fear towards his wife, and he does. He shows up and he says, hey, honey, I'm here. And there's some dew involved. I don't get that, but he's there. And he's like, I got to get in. He's knocking on the door and he's rejected. He's rejected by his wife. She says, listen, I'm in my nightgown. You expect me to get dressed. I'm all bathed in the bed. You want me to get dirty, right? And you can play this out in your marriage, whatever it looks like. And what does the man do? She finally opens the door and where is he? We don't know, but he's gone. In a lot of marriages, guys, you don't know where your husband's at, but he's gone. Where do we go, guys? When we're scared, we go and we hide. We hide at the bar. We hide at the golf course. We hide at work where we can just work harder and and provide. And there we feel like we're making an impact and people pat us on the back and we get raises. Or we're in the house, but we're gone. We're on our phone. We're reading the paper. We're watching sports. We're just doing whatever we can do to not be present because being present, being vulnerable terrifies us. This guy's gone and what does it do to his wife? She opens the door, he's nowhere to be found and she says, and I died inside because the wife opened the door and she needs to invite people into her soul, into her life that see the beauty and the value that she has and as she opens the door, he's gone and this woman thinks, is there nothing of value that would have this man fight for me and be there for me? So she takes control of the situation and goes out to find him. And as she's alone, she is damaged and bruised and hurt because she was never meant to be out by herself. 
but the man should have been there protecting, loving her. We see this play out with them. And I believe it plays out in our marriages over and over and over again. This is not fun. And and I hope you can maybe feel this in you. Because it's at the undercurrent of all of our relationships, husband, wife, friends, coworkers. And the only way we actually begin to move towards the willingness to take a risk to love is by us looking at our fears and looking at our brokenness with Jesus by us in light of his love and allowing his perfect love to allow us to change ourselves, Because here's the deal, guys. You cannot control or change another human being ever. Listen to me again. You cannot control or change another human being ever. So right where you're at right now in your 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, whatever it is, and all the things that you would say, I would love my wife better if she would, or I would love my husband better, or I would do some of these things that you guys have been talking about in this stupid Awakens Love series. I hope it's over soon so we can get back to something more spiritual than sex, right? If he would stop doing this, and he would do this, and he could do this, and, and, I, and that, the reason I don't do that is because I'm controlling the situation with this. No. You cannot control or change another human being. If you want to experience the joy and the desire and the love and the intimacy that you were designed to experience by the creator God that made you, it will only happen as you join up with Jesus and change yourself. Become the kind of lover the kind of image bearer that God created you to become. But what if they don't? Doesn't matter. You control yourself. For Julie and I, this, um, this changed years ago, a couple years ago. We had been in counseling for a long time. We still are. And let me just, I think I've said this before in a sermon. If you're not in counseling right now in a marriage and you have like a biblical Christian counselor helping you, go get one this week. Because let me tell you something, you have no idea what you're doing. You have dysfunction you watched from your parents that you've uploaded into your marriage. You've tried to figure it out. You've maybe read a book or two, but you have no idea what you're doing. And you're probably amazingly self-unaware because you're a human being. And to look at your dysfunction is terrifying. But if you could look at it with Jesus by your side and lie to the love of the Father and go, there's some brokenness here and experience his love and then invite your spouse to experience that love too, it's amazing what could start happening. You might start reflecting the very image of God. You can talk to, the, to, 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 to email the church, come see the prayer council. We can get you connected with some great biblical counselors. So Julie and I have been in counseling for years and, and what happened was we, we, we got into counseling to work on us and at about two sessions in, our counselor was like, here's what we're gonna do now. You're gonna both come separately and there's gonna be about a six month period where you're not working on you guys, you're working on you guy. And towards the end of that situation, what happened is I made a decision that really hurt Julie. And I don't know if anybody's married to a really strong, driven, type A, southern woman. 
But if you hurt or make them mad, you are going to pay. <laughs> My wife can speak about 8,000 minutes a second and uh, she just, I can just, and, and so, so for a lot of our marriage, right? And as you can tell, I like to hear my own voice. So we would have a lot of really passionate fights with just a lot of words and like that kind of stuff, right? And we didn't get a lot of, lot of, lot of progress. Well, we've been working on this vulnerability and embracing this situation. And so what happened is I really hurt Julie and she came to me with the hurt and I was expecting machine gun fire. And what she did was she became vulnerable and she invited me not into her anger, but to her pain. And she calmly, non-defensively said, this is how you hurt me. And it destroyed me. Because when I'm being attacked, I can, get, I can be ready for a fight. But when I have to deal with the fact that I hurt you, and now we're in a place of vulnerability. That moment turned a corner for us in our marriage. And it ain't easy. I screwed up last night. Right? Because guys, what we do when we're scared, we retreat or we, we, we abuse. And what happened was I, I, I came to my wife and, and, I, and I, I tried to, to move towards her, right? Had some ideas, you know, how the night might end, whatever. Didn't quite go like that. And I did what I do usually, which is a super mature thing. I pout. I'd ask you to raise your hands, but I don't want to embarrass you. But we had a lot of powders in the room, right? If you're raising a boy, you know it. They don't get their way and they pout, right? It's kind of cute when a six-year-old does it. It's embarrassing when a 39-year-old does it. So my wife has had the, one of the most difficult months of her life. She had some, a death in the family and just some really tough stuff. And last night, I would, you know, husband of the year. I got rejected, and I took that personally, even though we've talked about it about a zillion times. I pouted. I stopped talking after some basketball that I didn't really care about. I just went to bed. I woke up this morning about 5 a.m., and the Holy Spirit was like, that probably wasn't the best ending of your night before you go talk to people about marriage. So I woke up, which I woke Julie up, and I think she remembers this. She had one eye open this morning, and she was like, why are you waking me up? I said, babe, here's, I want to apologize to you because I didn't love you well last night. I, I pouted, and I went to bed, and, and, and I think I would have loved you a lot better if I would have said, I know that you've had a tough month, and I just want you to know I'll just be here for you for whenever you need me. That would have been a good love story. I was a scared puppy dog and I retreated and went to bed. And I've been trying to get better at this for like three years now. So this ain't easy. But I will promise you a bazillion dollars that I don't have. It is worth every penny. Because when someone you love even moves in a microscopic step into vulnerability and reflecting God's image to you, it is amazing. 
And God has created us to love like this. That's why Jesus says, right? The world will know who are his disciples by how we love one another. And if the world could see us in a non-fearful, non-controlling, non-defensive way, begin to invite each other to reflect the very heart of God that is in us, who knows what might happen? All right, we got six minutes. If you're intrigued by how to love differently, go read that book and get some counseling. Christian, biblical counseling. Because guess what? The day you got married, however many years ago it was, you received your pro card in relationships. And I guarantee you, if I told any of you, you were going pro tomorrow in a sport, the first thing you would do is go get a coach. So if you've been doing marriage for 20, 25 years without a coach, you might need to get a coach. Wait a second, Darren, that's terrifying. I'm gonna have to admit some things to my wife that I don't want to. Yes, it is. Wait a second, Darren, I can't be vulnerable with this man because of this stuff for the pastors. That's fine. I just want you to know that that decision will keep you in fear and keep you from experiencing the love that your soul was created for. Here's the beauty of it, though. We don't walk alone ever. We face these fears. We face these brokenness with Jesus by our side and light of the, love of the Father's affection. We move towards healing and wholeness. Okay? Let's talk about nakedity. So let's say you start loving in the image of God and then, you know, life works and things move towards your relationship and you find yourself back in your bedroom, which is what happens here in the next chapter of Song of Solomon. Okay? So here's what happens. We need a consistent courage. But if we're going to reawaken the love again and again and again and again, guess what we need? We need a consistent creativity in our marriage. Okay, here's the context of this next, uh, this next uh, chapter. We end verse uh, chapter six, and he says, dance, 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 dear Sholomay, angel princess, dance, where we feast our eyes on your grace. And there was a wedding dance that would happen at a wedding. So that's where this starts, but then we jump into seven, and all of a sudden we're, we're gone from a wedding, and now it's just them together, seemingly in their bedroom. And she seemingly has no clothes on, which is a pretty creative act. So what we have here in the Bible, I'm not making this up, it seems like we have a wife dancing naked for her husband. And all the women squirmed in the room and all the men were like, praise God, preach sermon, <laughs> preach, right? <laughs> Amen, praise hallelujah, all right. Nakedity. Anyway, so we jump in, right? Shapely and graceful, sandaled feet and queenly, your movement, your limbs are light. like he's going through your body as a child, your skin silken, your breasts are like fawns. He's going through the whole thing. I love, he's describing her body. He says, the feelings I get when I see the high mountain ranges stirring our desire, longings for the heights, remind me of you and I'm spoiled for anyone else. He's like, listen, babe, I only got eyes for you and they're wide open right now, all right? Ladies, I know it takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of non-defensively and a lot of non-controlling to get here, but like, you know the phrase they talk about, like happy, happy wife, happy life, right? I couldn't get one that rhymes real good with husband because husband doesn't rhyme with much, right? But ladies, I can just tell you, if, if you embrace creativity and see fulfillment of your husband as something that is of value, like when I talk to husbands that have wives that understand this, they'll literally jump off of a building for you, right? There's something in us, ladies, when we feel desired and affirmed and invited in by our wives, we feel like a superman. 
I don't know why, right? But it's the way God created us. And in that, the gift you can bring your husband, you can't imagine it. He keeps going, right? Your beauty within and without is absolute dear, right? You're tall and supple, um, like a palm tree, and your full breasts are like a cluster of grapes. I'm going to climb that tree, right? That palm tree, and I'm going to caress its fruit. Like, this guy's all about it. I think maybe Steve Miller band, maybe he was in a Bible study when he was like, I like your peaches, shake your tree. I didn't know he was a Bible guy, but... Then she keeps going, right? I got two minutes. I got to keep going. Then she talks about the mandrakes, right? The mandrakes send out their fragrance at the doors. Every delicacy, both new and old, right? The new stuff, the old stuff. I have it all stored up for you, my beloved. The mandrakes were a root, this fruit like root that the bottom of the root looked like the lower regions, okay? So what she's saying, she's like, listen, it's all, it's on, right? We got the old stuff. We got some new stuff. We got some creative stuff, creative stuff happening in our mix, I think there's two categories for us, right? For men, we need to start getting creatively sweet. And I think for the ladies, it's time to get creatively sexy. Men, do you know what it would mean to be creatively sweet for your wife? I'm learning. A couple weeks ago, Jill and I were in a conversation about this stuff. She's like, you're not very sweet. All right, well, explain to me what sweet would be. And guys, I'm going to tell you, your wife's going to describe to you what sweet is, and you're going to be like, that's that's awkward. I never think of those things. (laughs) Right? Like, she's going to say stuff like this, guys. Hang with me. She's going to be like, I'd like it if you listen to me when I talk. (laughs) We got to draw the line somewhere, ladies. But guys, I bet your wife has some ideas of what would be sweet. And guess what? They're not going to be even close to the zip code of sexy stuff to you, which is where we go. But guess what, guys? That's selfish. I'm going to love you the way I want to be loved. No, I have to love you the way you need to be loved. And that's my focus. So guys, go home and say, honey, how do I get sweet? And then write that stuff down and just start knocking it out. Ladies, could you relate in a non-defensive way to your husband and say, honey, what, what does creatively sexy look like for you? And I guarantee he's going to come up with some stuff. You're going to be like, you're, you are crazy, right? <laughs> but if you want this to be the marriage that you have when you die, why not embrace creativity? Because here's the deal. I like pizza a lot. Anybody else like pizza? I love pizza. I could eat pizza almost every day. But if you said to me, hey, here's what's going to be. I got pizza for you, but you're going to get pizza every Thursday at 9 o'clock. It's going to be the same pizza from the same pizza place, delivered in the same box, in the same plate. You're just going to eat the same pizza for 15 years. At some point, I'd be like, could we throw on like a, maybe some I don't know, jalapenos on there? Maybe get something from Donato's? I mean, something, right? And that's pizza. And sex is a lot better than pizza. But could we take the risk to become creative? Because guess what? Marriage is a long, long time. And it seems like in the Bible that it was pretty, pretty cool that we would be creative. Last thing is this, and I'm already over time. Eric, you're supposed to come up here and play when I'm such a shut up. <laughs> Last thing is this, a consistent commitment. The Song of Solomon ends like this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death and it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. This idea of this seal was a seal that you would have that would have like your name on it. It would be put on a wax uh, seal or maybe something of possession that would let everybody know this is my possession. No one else can have it. I value it and I protect it. 
I remember we were being mentored by an older couple uh, early in our marriage. And I thought this couple, this was like the Christian couple of all Christian couples. Like they walked on water. They were like Jesus in a marriage. And they set us down and, and, and the husband said this. He said, man, I want you to hear me. He said, in our marriage of decades, he said, we've, we've been about two or three decisions away from adultery and divorce. And as a 25-year-old man, I was terrified. Because in my brain, I thought, well, I mean, you got to really, really screw up to, you know, commit adultery and get divorced. Like, that's really hard to do. And now 15, almost 16 years in my marriage, you know what I've come to figure out? That I've been about two or three bad decisions away from adultery and divorce. It's really, really easy to do. And guys, our culture is set up against us. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, flirting, pornography. I mean, fill the gap in that can pull us apart as couples. And I've seen it now as a pastor for years and years and years. Couples that I thought, man, that's day they've got it going on. Now, divorce, adultery. We've got to be committed to this relationship because the odds are stacked against us. And I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what the boundaries you need to set, the conversations, the vulnerable conversations you need to have, probably in counseling, to commit to each other that no one will take what God has given me. I will protect you. I will honor you. I will fight for you. I will love you through the fear that love brings me because Christ loved me first. And he's given you to me as a gift. And you are my beloved.